Thank you. Um, my name is Mildred and I'm an alcoholic and I'm very happy to be here with you. I felt really nervous last week, uh, starting out uh, uh, trying to explain something that is so deep and so personal. And uh, I prayed a lot this week and I, I tell you, I love this title, We've Entered the World of the Spirit. But um, our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. So I'd like to begin with a quote from a Taoist teacher that I had, and he was talking about life. And it was this, a flow called life, a flow from the higher realm into the earth dimension, a freeway built of light to allow humans to leave the old ways for a new experience of their higher self. And I thought, even if it was written from a Taoist perspective, perfect example of Alcoholics Anonymous, a freeway built of light to allow us to leave our old ways for a new experience of our higher self. And I like what Ovid said. He wrote this about 45 BC. Let your, your hook be always cast. In the pool where you least expect it, there will be a fish. Who would have thought, as you were drinking alcohol, that that would be the pool in which you would find the grace of God, not me? And then I think I'll leave the next little quote because I want to get on with this. These quotes, each of them really speak to me. In a way, because they have a common theme, they come from different places, different times, different people but they carry one message. As I see it, it's the message of the human condition, gasping for something, grasping for something that the third dimension living can never give of itself. The human condition, indeed. And I went to Dr. Silkworth. I just think he was such a wonderful man. Think about this. What he said was that, uh, we need an entire psychic change. Just think of that. Not a psychic change, not some new ideas, an entire psychic change. And that is really what the program offers. It has offered it to me. Sometimes I haven't taken it. And then he said something else <clears throat> that I had never really paid attention to before. He says, there are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving, which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. Powerful words about what this disease does to us. I remember that experience, May the 20th, 1973, when I was on my way out. My spirit always understood that drinking was but a stopgap. Never, there was never enough alcohol. The high was never high enough. There was never enough of anything to give me the peace that my soul was craving. But I continued the chase to the gates of insanity and death in a state of incomprehensible demoralization where everybody had just wiped their hands of me. Isn't the drive unbelievable? The book says to be doomed to an alcoholic death or live on a spiritual basis 
are not always easy alternatives to face. No wonder the world calls us strangely insane. Imagine you've got the choice between an alcoholic death and spiritual life, and you say, no, no, none of that spiritual stuff. I'm going to go for the alcoholic death if I have to. Could anybody stop your madness? Could anybody stop mine? Not a chance. Doctors, professors, psychiatrists, family, they all tried. I even married my psychiatrist. That certainly doesn't talk too much sanity either, does it? No wonder we are told we must concede to our innermost selves. I conceded that way before I got sober. But always with me was, I don't feel good if I don't drink. I have to drink, so we'll deal with it. Um, I knew I was alcoholic, but what I didn't understand was that I absolutely had no idea how to live. I love what Desmond Tutu said. He said, God gives us instructions on the box of human being. Isn't that a wonderful way to say it? God puts the instructions on the box of human being. They are the same as those seen in nature. And But our problem is we're not operating according to those instructions. And then I think of things that Jung said. So I'm so happy, Jay, you're going to be talking about that because whenever you do it, I'll be here, believe me said he always felt that every alcoholic was seeking the spirit in every bottle of spirits. And that's what I think is that terrible thing that drives us. We aren't meant to find our total happiness in the third dimension. That emptiness, that soul sickness. He said, he put it this way. He said, there's a secret gnawing at the roots of our being. I think that just says it perfectly. What is this thing, this hole? Uh, some people call it the hole in the soul. I don't believe there's a hole in the soul. That can't be. If page 55 is correct, it says the fundamental idea of God is in each of us. If that's there and God is everything, it does not make sense that there's a hole in the soul. So what is it? Well. If you go down history, look, right from Isaiah the prophet, who talked about man, wake up. Then there's St. Augustine, who said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. He knew it. And then there's Psalms talk about the heart panting for God the way the body pants for water. And then I love the works of Meister Eckhart, about 1200. And what did he say? The soul grows by subtraction. Wow. And he also talked about prayer. And he told his, his students, he said, don't ask to be filled. He said, ask to be emptied so you can be filled with that which is the truth. I just love that. And then there's, in closer to our day, Peggy Lee. If that's all there is, let's just keep dancing. And isn't that just wonderful? 
And I love what Chris Christopherson said in one of his songs. Poor wayfaring stranger taking every wrong direction on his lonely way back home. Wow. You know, I think about my experience of that. I was about eight years old when my dad bought me a pair of new shoes. They were brown loafers. And wouldn't you know, when he bought those shoes, he must have bought some magic because those shoes filled me up. I'd look wear those shoes and I knew the world was good. I didn't need another thing, even though by that time I had started to drink alcohol at five. But I'd put the shoes under the bed, wake up in the middle of the night, go look at the shoes, say, oh, it's good, go back to sleep. And then one day somebody stole the magic and they were just shoes. You know what? That's the story of my life. I, from time to time, have thought I've got the magic. But you know what? If it isn't G-O-D, it's just a sim simulation. It's something that can't last. And one day, you're left with a bigger emptiness and a bigger hole than you ever had before. I love the fact that, you know, Bill, Bill understood this. What did he say? We have been spiritually sick. When spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. I thought that was wrong. You know, I'm so smart, I can overcome. I thought, if I'm going to straighten out, give me money, give me success, let me have the world the way I want it, and then I will do the spiritual work. It's not what he says. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And imagine, in 1937, or Jay knows this better than I do, whatever date Bill was writing this, that he understood and put this statement in the book. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. You know, most of my life, I have thought the problem is out there, somebody else or something. There's something not right out there. And then he says, it's in the mind rather than in his body. I love what Scott Peck had to say. He said, alcoholism is a blessing. We're all broken, but alcoholism breaks us physically. And it certainly broke me visibly. It broke me in the church. It broke me in the convent. It broke me in the bars. It broke me in the psychiatric world. It broke me in high society. It broke me in the five and a half years I was in AA Stone. It broke me on the park bench. That's broken. And so I conceded on the morning of May the, May the 20th because I had, the RCMP had picked me off the bench and taken me to a psych ward. And uh, they were discharging me that day. My dry date is the 18th of May, but my God date is the 20th of May. And that morning, 
I realized something. I don't know how to live. I had never seen that clearly before. It was always somebody else. That morning, I saw it. And the only solution I could think of was suicide. And I knew where to go. And I said to myself, half an hour and I'm out of here. It can't be worse than what it is here. And that was the opening to grace. See, I think when you realize you're homeless, you're friendless, you're penniless, and you have not got a clue, I didn't have one idea how I could fix all that. And at that moment, one, one second, one breath, I was the old me, and the next breath, I was the new me. Who's the new me? The new me was this crippled person who knew nothing about life, who was angry at God, hated the world, hated herself, hated people, and had no clue about how to live. But the new me was that person with no compulsion and no obsession. And in 48, almost 49 years, I have never had a compulsion. I've never had the obsession. I've never had that desire thinking, wouldn't it be nice to take a drink? I'm done with that. Bring on the solution. And I can tell you, I had no clue what the solution was going to be. The solution took me to um, not, not back to the park bench, the hospital that gave me enough money that I could get a room on Skid Row. And I'm, I'm not a person who knows about, who knew about Skid Row, but I found out. And I remember opening the door and going, and that's where I was to live for a year. And I have to tell you, you know, if you think about the drunken life, it's a really weird business. If I think about the sober life, it's also a weird business, but weird with a different identification. Like, I knew nothing about living like that. And I lived there for a year. And I have to tell you, in a way, see, what I understand now is God has not made a misstep in my life. The power of good has been there, and it's been perfect, absolutely perfect. You know, I think of Tom Ivester after I got into AA. I went and got into it, and I haven't got time to talk about all that, but I got into AA when I was about six months, clean and sober. I had one friend. You know, I have never been left without that which is for my benefit. And it's not always for something on the outside. One of the psychiatrists that I had known, I didn't know it at the time, he was a dedicated Hindu. And he took an interest in me. And he said, you're going to come and see me once a week. That was my sole contact at that time. And I would walk eight miles to see him. And, you know, we never talked religion. We never talked God. You know what he talked? His religion, like the Dalai Lama, his religion was kindness. And I don't know what we talked about, but I felt loved. And he'd say, Mildred, don't drink and don't do drugs. 
And he said, I don't know how your life is going to grow. But he said, your life will be fine if you don't drink and do drugs. And he was right. He was right. That, and how long did I stay on Skid Row? My first year, my job was sweeping a factory floor. That's how I survived. I was hungry a lot of the time, but you know what? My soul was quiet. I can't explain that. My soul was absolutely quiet. I didn't fight being on Skid Row. I wasn't angry about it. It just was. And that's where I lived for that year. And then, you know, my friend Ken in San Diego, he calls them God shots. Stuff started to happen. The voice said, you know, go and see if you can get a job. I'm an educator. I'm educated as an educator. I went to the paper and within three days, I had a job. And that's how I started my life. And I got a good sponsor. And I had one of those sponsors. I had him for 44 years. And he taught me. He taught me principles. He didn't boss me around. He helped me to understand. He was a strong businessman. And you know, I think he understood about, yes, of course he understood about principles. And he was a principled man himself. And he took me through the, through the steps and he, he taught me some of the things and he didn't bug me about God. You know, if he had, I don't know what would have happened. I don't know if he really understood how angry I was with God and wanted nothing to do with, with that power. How do you go to AA and go to meetings and, you know, I could talk God. Lots of people, I think, would, would understand that. I could talk God with the best of them. I'd gone to theology and all that kind of stuff. and uh, But there was nothing going on in here, nothing. Didn't care about that stuff because I was a young woman on the make and as I got sober and as I went to the program and I started to make money and before I knew it, I was not only successful in my career, I was buying houses and I became very wealthy and I thought I had the thing made and I built my own house and I remember thinking, how does this happen? You, you, you were on a park bench for two months the day came when I was sitting on a curb uh, at uh, with a friend, bawling my eyes out. I wasn't okay. My first real contact with the power. See, I don't. I don't think God has a personality that says she's not doing it right, so we're not going to let her have the good life. I was allowed to grow and find out that the money and the men and the sex and the clothes and the this and the that didn't solve what was wrong with me. It wasn't the clothes I was wearing and it wasn't the skid row place I was living. That wasn't the problem. It was that thing we talked about at the beginning, that urge, something is wrong. I'm, I feel empty. I feel not okay. And one, one thing had happened when I was 18 years sober. Uh, I was coming home one day. I'd been on a speaking engagement, and uh, 
uh, I saw across the dashboard, the day will come when faced by a self-imposed crisis, you will have to make a decision. Either God is everything or God is nothing. What is your choice to be? I almost drove the car into the ditch. And I thought, what am I going to do? Do I believe God is everything? No, I don't believe that. Do I believe it's nothing? No, that's not a good idea. A little of my Catholic teaching had come to the fore and I said, well, you know, I'm going to say God is everything and just see what happens. And every once in a while, I would say, God, whatever you are, you're going to have to show me what this is about because I can't figure it all out. And so at 21 years, I was suicidal again. Um, I felt empty inside. I didn't know what to do about it. Um, I'd go to meetings and people would say, I feel so good. I used to feel so alone. And I thought, well, good for you, buddy. I feel worse now than I did because I thought AA was going to fix it. You know what? AA does fix it, but not Mildred's version. Big difference between the truth of the big book, the truth of people who have done the, the work and experienced the spiritual awakening and are living the principles as we're asked to do on a daily basis. And so I had met Tom Ivester. Well, Tom I. And he took me aside. I've had some great teachers, Chuck Chamberlain, Tom, Mac Cheater. These men, the, uh, I'm so grateful for them. And Tom said to me, Mildred, he said, and you know, I said, people are so wise. He was wise enough to know. He mentioned God to me, I'm out the door maybe. He said, how does it happen, he said, that I, who was in a penitentiary, how does it happen that I become a warden? And I still remember he did this kind of thing, and he said, I have found the power of good. He said, a power of good that has taken me every step of the way. And you know, when I couldn't believe, when God and me were in darkness, I could think of the power of good. And you know what? It has carried me every step of the way. Because, you know, even though I had that dramatic spiritual experience getting when the compulsion was taken, it didn't change me. I still had all my negativity, all my old ideas, all the things going on inside that kept me on that dark road away from the highway of light, as my Taoist teacher said. And um, I started to change. And when, again, when I was ready, you know, I've got a sponsee now who's having some trouble. And she said to me this morning, she called me and she said, when am I going to be ready? <laughs> I wish I could turn on a switch and say, you're ready now. I said, I don't know, honey. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just hang in with me and the day will come. Because 
don't have the power to do the kinds of things that switch us over from life as sucking our, trying to suck our lives out of the third dimension to where we should be living in the light. So, you know, I do want to say this. Sometimes, this is all about grace. And, you know, I thought, am I going to talk about grace? I can't. I don't have words to explain grace. I know people say, well, it's an unmerited gift. I don't like that expression. I'll tell you why. Because if you say something is unmerited, then it means something is merited. And, you know, if you read the Gospels, Master said, who do you think you are? What have you earned? Like everything is a gift, everything. The life, the breath, the goodness, the information, the way things go, it's all grace. And I think really that I think about grace, it's God at work. And that's why at some point I have learned to watch God. I watch to see how things work out, you know? And, you know, the accident maybe I could have had that is averted. Maybe the phone call I wasn't expecting. It goes on, and my, my book is this thick now. And on a day when I'm feeling kind of flat, I open my God book and I read time after time after time after time. The power of goodness has showed up. And I put that in the book last night, Jay, because last night Jay and I had talked for a while and we had just a beautiful talk and it went, it went in the God book. You know, I think that grace is at work all the time. I think it's always available. What was different for me the morning of May the 18th? The thing that was different was I gave in. I opened the door. I often tell my sponsees, you know, how do you get into my place? You rap or you ring the bell and I open the door and then you come in. And I think that we have to open the door. And the book says many times each day, I've got to have the vision of God, God's will in my life. I, you know, I don't know. I don't think about does God want me here in it tonight or does God, I made a promise that I would do it and that's why I'm here. God's will is that I practice the principles and that I become a decent human being and I let that power in. And that, that has just worked wonders. I think about God as omniscience, an omnipotence, an omnipresence, and that power is everywhere. Sometimes I think we forget. We think we're gonna solve problems by our human means. I forget sometimes. I went away at 21 years, again to the States, and uh, I found this teacher, and he taught me what I needed to know. I didn't know about the subconscious and all that stuff. Why is it important? 
because it was important to Bill Wilson. In step eight in the 12 and 12, what does he say? He says, we've had experiences buried below the level of consciousness. At the time of these occurrences, they have given our emotions violent twists, which have since discolored our personalities and altered our lives for the worse. And I'm telling you that piece of information put me my feet on a new path and guide me every day. Um, one of the things that changed for me, I learned to meditate. And that happened with Jay and Adele. I started, we started to meditate and I started to do a lot of spiritual reading. And I do a lot of spiritual reading because I need to keep my thinking present. What is this world about? Why am I here? Who am I? Am I going to fix my world and make myself okay through manipulation in the third dimension? I'm tempted. Believe me, I'm tempted. You know, I love the writings about the uh, the ego in, in chapters, in the step three writings. You know, isn't it amazing? Book says I have to be rid of that piece <coughs> or else it could kill me. God makes that possible. What a power that is. And it says, I can't get rid of it by myself. I need God's help. And that's why I think God shows up. So I understand now why people write poetry, why they create art, and why they write music. Some of this stuff is of the heart. And for years, my heart was closed. I was the head person. Did I have compassion? No, I think compassion. I feel, I think sorry for people. I give you money, but I, my heart is closed. And in this last 20 years, that heart has opened and I have become a different person. I actually like people, not just because God lives in them, but I realize there are 8 billion of us. World doesn't revolve around me. I don't any longer expect people to. I used to hate everybody. Quite different. I think poetry, music, and art, they speak to our hearts. They sure speak to mine. Uh, you know, when the master was here, what he had a unique way of teaching. He told stories. He talked in parables. He talked in metaphor. He used the kingdom of heaven is like, and so on, because those were things people could relate to. And I think that's why I'm in a third dimension body. I've got a, a, an experience that I can relate to and apply it. And I've got a couple of things I'd just like to share with you. Uh, Emily Dickinson. Every once in a while, I find something in her that just blows me away. In one place, she took just two sentences where she said, some people see every bush of fire with God. She said, the rest just pick blueberries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and the other piece that it and it's about spiritual growth she says tell the truth but tell it slant it's too bright for our infirm delight the truth superb surprise the truth must dazzle gradually or every man be blind isn't that truth it true i mean if you really if i think about this where i started out and where i am now not perfect but too bright for our infirm delight the truth superb surprise the truth must dazzle gradually or every man be blind you know as i was reviewing what i had written i've chosen to spend more time on the disease aspect of alcoholism actually but you know when you see the magnitude of what the disease really is i think it enhances the magnitude of of what recovery really is about because sometimes i just feel uh helpless you know like what are we here to be what does it all show us it shows us the divine you know the book says we have ceased fighting anything or anyone even alcohol for by this time sanity will have returned we will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part that is the miracle of it and then at another place he says the instruction for every day carry the vision of god's will into all of your activities and i want to close with a paragraph that i've grown to love it's the last the last paragraph from the 12 and 12 in step 11 because it appeals to my heart he says one of the greatest rewards of meditation and prayer is the sense of belonging that comes to us we no longer live in a completely hostile world. We are no longer lost and frightened and purposeless. The moment we catch even a glimpse of God's will, the moment we begin to see truth and justice and love as the real and eternal things in life, we are no longer deeply disturbed by all the seeming evidence to the contrary that surrounds us in purely human affairs. And isn't that the truth in 2022? We know that God lovingly watches over us. We know that when we turn to him, all will be well with us here and hereafter. And that is my wish and my prayer for all of you. God bless.